Drunk Dish contains adult language that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Uh, hello and welcome to Drunk Dish, where three delicious <laughs> dishes explore food history and get pickled in the process. This oh is God. episode five of season two, and today's topic is not all men. Oh, Hashtag not all men. The male contributors to the women's suffrage. A.K.A. I, suffragettes. Uh, A.K.A. what? I didn't coin that. That's the name of a book. Suffragettes. <laughs> oh, suffragettes. I hate that. I yeah. hate it. Yeah, we can't have one word. You got to take it. <laughs> right. Yes. That seems, oh. I mean, oh. that seems, that tracks. I'm Melissa. Oh, I'm Kate. <laughs> and I'm Amy. Oh, yeah. Yes. We did it. <laughs> I may have already been drinking. So this is going to be a hoot. <laughs> uh, what, what do we do next? Oh, yeah. Now that we've introduced ourselves, every episode, Kate <laughs> likes to ask us one food related question. Kate, what is our question or questions? Mm, okay, our multiple our multiple tiered question. Uh, so we are as we are recording this. It is two days after Thanksgiving, Cranberry Harvest Day. Yum. Yeah. Uh, and Yum. so, you know, I had some canned cranberry sauce. Canned cranberry sauce is awesomely good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't want chunks in my sauce, well, Amy. That's why, you, that's why you use an immersion blender, Melissa. My immersion blender is really hard to use because of my nails. Because <laughs> uh, there's a like lock, a you, you, problem. Have to, <laughs> you have to push in the lock button. Mm. And then with another finger, you have to push the like go button. That seems re- like a really difficult. inaccessible device. And it's like... Yeah, it's and my nails aren't even that long, but anyways, <laughs> I already sidebarred. Side so, Kate, what's our question? <laughs> <laughs> so, the first part of the question is, um, how do you feel about that whole like thing where people make the gigantic like after Thanksgiving sandwich thing, like with turkey and stuffing and cranberry sauce and gravy and all the shit on the gigantic sandwich where, where are you where do you come down on that i hate it <laughs> that's not really fair it's very i think it's a very efficient use of leftovers and people seem to really love it i am not a big mixer of food mm. like i think there's very specific things that i like mixed together and i'm not the type of person that would like put mix cranberry sauce with my stuffing with turkey and all of that jazz and then also the fact that like i don't really like turkey that much Mm. okay so like turkey leftovers are even like not even even less good yeah than fresh turkey so like not for me although i mean i can imagine on some really good bread with really good ingredients i'm sure it's good but like i've literally never eaten one like that i've made like voluntarily like i've <laughs> tried that sounds like I, it was like force fed yeah. i've tried one but like i've never made one for myself and been like ah oh, yeah but obviously people like it because i think like subway or something has a 
turkey like sandwich or whatever. Yeah, I think D'Angelo's does too. Like I think it's a th- it's a whole yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, sidebar. I hope we're all recording properly because I forgot to hit record in StreamYard. Ooh. <laughs> we're going to try that new feature and then uh I didn't hit record. So, anyways, <laughs> don't fuck up your files, guys. Yeah. Do our best. Working on it. <laughs> all right, continue. Amy, what are your thoughts on the dumb sandwich? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I mean, so like I've it's never sounded appealing to me ever, but th- it's really funny that this is the question because about twenty minutes before I sat down to record with you ladies, uh, I was finishing up dinner and thinking, what am I gonna eat for lunch? Which is how I spend most of my dinners mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> is planning out tomorrow's meals. Yeah, I, uh, perpetually planning our next meals. Yeah, um, what am I eating next? <laughs> and thinking, I'm I'm really sick of eating the same stuff i'm not a big thanksgiving person so we did have like turkey breast and and stuff but like like that's not my go-to but i haven't had any leftovers like today or yesterday and then i was saying you know what i haven't had turkey for a few days maybe i'll make a nice turkey sandwich and i make homemade cranberry sauce and i and i liked it's like very zingy like it's Mm -hmm. like very like tart and it tastes really good with the turkey because turkey to me tastes like nothing mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. i was i was then imagining maybe i'll make one of those thanksgiving sandwiches <laughs> so like this is the first ever day i've ever thought maybe i'll do that that sounds like it could possibly be appealing so it's really funny to me that you asked this question um i probably am not gonna do it tomorrow though <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think it's gonna move past that like thought process. Okay, uh, all right, fair. Yeah, fair. I've never had one. Uh, like Melissa said, I think it's really efficient use of of leftovers. But it, I don't know. Like I don't like. I would probably I could see the stuffing, the turkey, and the cranberry because like sometimes I put fruit and stuffing, and it like. But then like I couldn't see like mixing that with mashed potatoes or like. Or like having I a greasy, the, greasy I think drizzle. The norm, uh, yeah. What's the normal, Kate? Do you know what like the normal I, leftover turkey sandwich is? I <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know, but I think that it's like they put whatever. mashed potatoes on it. Yeah, I think they put mass, like mashed mashed potatoes freaks. and stuffing and like if you've got like green bean casserole, they put that shit on there. Like that's, I, that's yeah, psychotic behavior. This is what I'm saying. I think it's ooh, that's like that. That's like has very much ooh, they'll go in the same place energy. Yeah, yeah no. no. And it's like yeah, but it's not all in my mouth at the same time. Right. You fucking weirdo. Yeah, no. Give me <laughs> give me the little kid plate with the five yeah. different little. <laughs> indented dividers that's how i want my thanksgiving like i don't Mm -hmm. want the shit touching i don't ever want to mix it maybe a like i don't even like how for thanksgiving we have to pile so much stuff on our plate Mm -mm. like it stresses me out i would rather like because i can't have every because yeah it stresses me out Mm -hmm. yeah i'm not i'm not into at all like and i think that some people do like um, I don't my we don't usually do like a mac and cheese, but I think a lot of people do like mac and cheese. And so I could see there being a place mac for like one or two of those components together on a sandwich. Yeah. But like when you start just like and then putting gravy on the shit and, you know, no, no, no. The other thing I think 
I think I'm not into a soggy sandwich. I don't no, want same. soggy bread. Absolutely not. I don't want any no. any moistness in my bread ever. So like I think there's I think there's like two two different approaches there. Um I do also think that you could make your stuff depending on how you make your stuffing. Like I don't usually use like a binder or eggs or anything in my stuffing, but if you did and it was a little bit more um solid, you could probably turn the stuffing into the bread type vessel. Like you could probably Mm -hmm. like press it out and like grill it or something and turn that into the thing that you were building the sandwich on, which might have some merit, but I've never done it. I'm not into it. It's not my, not my, not my idea of a good time. (laughs) (laughs) But in general, how do you uh, feel about leftovers? I I like to repurpose dinner things for breakfast because breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. Mm-hmm. So like we we didn't do mashed potatoes for Thanksgiving this year. We did smash potatoes where you just mm-hmm. you mash yeah, them on a baking sheet and then mm-hmm. bake them in the oven. They get all crispy. Um, mm-hmm. Half of them we did a lot. Half of the sheet pan was consumed and then the other half of the sheet pan we saved. And then the next morning for breakfast, I did eggs and then I heated up the smashed potatoes on the skillet. Yum. Um, yeah, so it was that sounds like amazing. Like it was really good. Yeah. Um, mm. And then say, like, so I'll take or like the rolls to like the like Thanksgiving rolls. Like I toasted them in the morning. So we had like little mini egg sandwich sliders and and stuff. But I don't most of the Thanksgiving giving stuff like i'm not i'm just is it not food i eat all the time and it feels Mm -hmm. like so wasteful um in general when i'm cooking dinner like on an average week or average day i'm always thinking about the leftovers and how i can repurpose them like i was saying like sitting down to dinner and thinking about lunch tomorrow or breakfast tomorrow or whatever like usually i'll make something different for dinner every night for like three days and then the leftovers from those three meals i'll have tried to plan so that they will make a good meal together for like the fourth night you so are like there'll be pieces of stuff but that's because like i have i live in a household with i was gonna say you have a bunch of people you have to feed six people so like that's that, got to be top of mind how you're gonna stretch the food as far as it could possibly go yeah Unlike unlike our uh, our us wasteful yeah, childless no. oh, people. Sh- seriously, yeah, it's, it's it's totally like that is that is uh that's meal planning like extreme like that's impressive. I think it's not even like it's not even super thoughtful though. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just like what trash do I have in the fridge? <laughs> yeah, like can I put this in a skillet and make my kids eat it? Right. Like <laughs> can I like, throw some eggs on this? Yeah. Like I, I I'll usually make like bacon like once a week, and there'll always be some leftovers, and I'll like incorporate that into sandwiches or like as a topping for pizza or like you know what I mean. So it's just like like whenever I'm planning out the next meal i'm thinking what ingredients that i already have cooked so i don't have to spend as much time cooking and then, mm-hmm. so i make yeah. that food stretch as long as possible yeah but it's not like i'm not like sitting down like sunday like meal planning for the week and like making itemized grocery lists it's very much like a what garbage can i put together <laughs> into like an <laughs> edible mass kind of 
thing. And usually like the day of is like what I'm when I'm thinking about it. So my mom is very good about planning ahead. And she's like she wakes up in the morning and she thinks, what am I going to cook for dinner? And like we'll plan out like thawing food and like like she's way more thoughtful than I am about that. So Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. I'm, I'm just, I just, it think is it's impressive. impressive. But being a mom is impressive. That is also true. Like, uh, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Kids are weird. <laughs> they are. Um, I'm not a fan of leftovers. I, I, so it's weird because like I, I really hate food waste and I, I know that we waste more, way more food than like, we should we could do much better but i also really dislike leftovers in general i don't like reheating food but i also don't like cold food if it's supposed to be warm like i don't even like cold pizza like if i have leftover pizza i have to heat it like i don't Same. want cold pizza that's gross yep it like, depends on the grease level um, for me <laughs> that's true well and it depends on the crust if the crust gets really hard mm. and the crust is like my favorite part so if when your pizza's cold, your crust is like inedible, then like, what's the point? Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm not a big leftover. There are some things that Greg makes that the leftovers are actually better than the like main dish. So like we do this tray bake where it's like sausage and sweet potato, onions, like just a bunch of stuff thrown on a tray, roasted in the oven. It's pretty good the first night that you eat it. The second night he takes all of it and he dumps it into a skillet. And gets it like really charred. Mm. And it just is like so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So like that, I I get excited when he's making that because then I know the next day we're going to have really delicious leftovers. But that's like the exception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for Thanksgiving this year, <clears throat> he actually made stuffing for the first time um, with like big crusty bread. And it did have like egg and stuff. Yeah. In it, so it was bound. And it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and we did a roast chicken. We didn't do turkey because I don't really like turkey that much. And when we went to get a turkey, we couldn't find one <laughs> under 13 pounds. Oh, my gosh. They were enormous. Yeah. And that wasn't like dry- brined and stuff because mm-hmm. normally we just get like a straight small turkey. So we ended up getting a roast chicken instead, which I was like thrilled about. Um, so the day after Thanksgiving, he took the stuffing and the roast chicken and like put it all in a skillet and did basically the same thing where he like cooked it all together and he made like a chicken gravy and poured it over top. And we had that and I had my like leftover cranberry sauce and that was delicious. Yeah, that sounds um, great. And, yeah. Yeah. And we had the leftover rolls that I made for Thanksgiving, which didn't didn't come out very good. But like they're still I mean, they're delicious, but like they didn't proof. I don't know. I don't know if my yeast was like half dead or something, but uh. But so like that was really good. But in general, I just it's never as good as initial. Like I hate that when you get Chinese food, you have like three days of leftovers. Yeah. And you're just eating Chinese food like every day. And that and like, your body and your body's just like, no. stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. You know, not a big fan of leftovers, but we should be better and we should embrace leftovers i do like around thanksgiving a lot of youtube channels we watch come out with like you know hacks or whatever and a youtuber we watched brian lagerstrom did a video where it was like three ways to use your like leftover turkey and he did a turkey chili which looked really good turkey enchiladas 
and then like a turkey salad, like chicken salad. Mm -hmm. And it all looked really good. So I'm like, so I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that there's like this push to be like, use your leftovers. Yeah. But I'm not excited by leftovers. No. At all. <laughs> no. I wish I was because then we'd waste less food. Yeah, I'm never. Ex- we're wasteful Americans. Oh, my gosh. So. Yeah, I'm never excited about leftovers. Dan loves leftovers. Like, he loves having them in there and just like, which is great. because That's ease. Yeah. That's oh, ease, sh- I'm going to guess, not flavor. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, probably. He's like, this doesn't taste great or this doesn't taste as good as it did, but I had to do about 5% effort it's, Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, to get it into my mouth. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. That's probably accurate. But like, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't, yes, for all of the same reasons. I just don't, don't dig it. At all. That being said, I do have a gigantic turkey carcass in my fridge that I will be making a chicken su- a turkey soup out of. But that's like Ooh. a plan. Like that's a it's like, OK, I'm going to take that and I'm going to make a well, turkey that's, soup. That's the thing I want to be better about, too, because like we do roast chicken every couple of weeks mm-hmm. and I've never made like chicken stock. Oh, yeah, you should. But, like we could just have chicken stock in the freezer. We have a whole carcass. Yeah. Yeah. And I and we just don't. Like, it's just a step that we like, which I guess, I don't know. I don't really count that as leftovers. That's more just like using the whole thing. No, that's true. You know yeah. I mean? Like, that's yeah. certainly, but like, it's also delicious. And, you know, like a really, especially if you like the way you season your turkey or your chicken, you know, like it's a mm-hmm. really good way to zhuzh it up. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so <laughs> on that note, um, Melissa, what are you drinking Wait. tonight? <laughs> Hold on. What? Amy, did you tell us how you felt? It? Oh, you yeah. did. Yeah, I did. You just talked about how you repurpose Thanksgiving dinner, no? Well, I'm drunk. Don't mind me. No, I talk, I talk to her leftovers in, in general. I like I like oh, to okay. reimagine the things. So I don't like right, to right, just right, reheat right, okay. it. As yeah, is. she has, right, her, right, right, she right, has right, everything right. all planned out before. Yeah. We did not have leftover smashed potatoes, I'll tell you what. <laughs> mm. Mm. We ate that shit. Those are good, though. Like, those are just really so good. good. Yeah, and I mixed chives into, or not chives, and green um, scallions into, like, sour cream. Yeah. <sighs> Delish. So good. Anyways. Melissa, what are you we- drinking? <laughs> uh, <laughs> now? Um, yeah, I... <laughs> So the recipe tonight is for a Jack London martini. My glass was nice and cool, but it is no longer. Um, So anyway, so a Jack London martini is we're going to jump right into the recipe and then I'll do a little bit of info because I think we've done martini on the show before. I think so. Yeah, I don't actually know, but I feel like we have. So I was going to go into the history of the martini, but then I was like, I feel like we have. We've definitely talked about shaken versus stirred and like, yeah. I feel like we have done listeners. A martini. Tell us what episode. Yeah. <laughs> if not, I'll do one soon. I could have looked, but I was lazy. But so I chose the Jack London martini instead, um, which is three ounces of black currant vodka, um, one ounce of blanc vermouth, um, and a half ounce of maraschino liqueur. You shake it with ice and strain it, strain it into a chilled martini glass. That sounds delicious. Um, yeah. So I don't know where you find black currant vodka, I'll tell you what. But talking about kitchen hacks, one of the YouTube channels we watch um called Oh No. 
called their app is called side sorted oh, <laughs> sorted yes. food they're fun uh they're british they had a fun hack was it them that had the fun hack yeah i think it was them um where you could take like a jam jar um so you can never get like all the jam out of a jar you know so you take that when you're done with it and you just like fill it with vodka or gin and Ooh. then you shake it up and then you put it back in the fridge and then you have whatever that is flavored gin So I had some black currant jam that I had used for a baking experiment. So instead of trying to find black currant vodka, I just poured a bunch of vodka in it and shook it up. And that's really, that's 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 really smart. And that seems like less wasteful as far as like, like that jar is clean. Well, not only that, but this is good. Trust me, I will drink all of it. Not having 12 (laughs) different vodkas, you know, also. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I already have, I have regular vodka and then I have vanilla vodka, but I had a bunch of different flavors for a while. Like I had citrus and I had like, like strawberry rhubarb and like, it's just, there's so many that All you the can things. get. So I'm just shaking this up right now, trying to not have it explode all over the bedroom. That's a good plan. And then I am going to strain it through a sieve because I there's obviously like chunks and stuff in the jam from, you know, currants, <laughs> whatever the jam was made out of. Mm. Oh, my God. It's such a pretty color. I probably could have diluted it a little bit more. I only have really big ice cubes, which leads to not great dilution. Technically would want a little bit more in a vodka martini, but. Here we are. So this is you can kind of you can't really see the color. Ooh. I like it. It's like, yeah, it's like a purple color. Yeah, that's pretty. Ooh. Okay, that's delicious. It looks Jack London, you you SOB. Sounds like it's delicious. (laughs) You old so and so. All right. So gonna drink that that's gonna go (laughs) real quick um that's dangerous it's really really good and like it i think it would be overly sweet but because it has the half ounce of maraschino liqueur in it it like gives it a little bit of bitterness which is really really good oh yeah i'm into that okay um so i picked this um because the simple vodka martini is said to have been the favorite of writer jack london um, in his history with alcohol, which was the basis for his autobiographical masterpiece, John Barleycorn basically helped spur on the temperance movement, which is like super interesting to me. I didn't go too into it because honestly, I couldn't actually find that much information about it. There's like notes here and there that are like, yeah, he did. He kind of the book made people like mad and whatever. And that started prohibition. But there wasn't like, I don't know, any like deep analysis of that. But um, essentially, the novel deals with London's enjoyment of drinking and struggles with alcoholism. Uh, It was published in 1913. The title is taken from the British folk song, John Barleycorn. The novel caused uh, denunciations from liquor producers. Basically, they were like distancing themselves from it. Like, no, no, alcohol is not that bad. Don't don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, It's fine. Pay no attention. (laughs) Yeah. and he he himself said that, like, no, nah, I'm not an alcoholic. Like, I wasn't an alcoholic. It's fine. But I actually, like, really want to read the book now because from what I read about it, it's, like, 
It's like a fucking drop. Like, it's like a soap opera. <laughs> like, it sounds like he had some kind of crazy shit uh, going on due to his alcohol consumption. And I think that the fact that he said he wasn't an alcohol is kind of like or wasn't an alcohol, wasn't an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little ridiculous. He's definitely not an alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, there were sermons in churches throughout the U.S. about the dangers of alcohol and the novel helped tip America towards the temperance movement. Um, Okay, so I couldn't find another word for this. So he was a hobo for a time. A tra- I didn't know a what transient to- person transient. Yes. OK, because I know he was like choosing to travel and be homeless and write. Yeah. But when I like tried to look up other words for hobo, hobo, they all seemed worse than hobo. <laughs> it was like vagrant tramp or like, yeah, tramp, mm-hmm. homeless, homeless. And I'm like, so so transient. Yep. OK, <laughs> um, during that time, he drank chemist alcohol, uh, which nowadays would essentially be like Everclear. Um, though it was much more dangerous. Um, during his time in the Bonin Islands, which were in Japan, he gained a taste for raw whiskey. Trade rum, which I couldn't figure out what that meant. I tried to look it up. I don't know what trade rum is. I think it means rum, like, based on that, like, access of, like, the the slave route and stuff. Yeah. I think. But I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, absinthe muscat which is a fortified wine made in australia and then of course uh beer and wine but as he became a best-selling author he favored the simple vodka martini the story goes that london was so fond of his favorite bartenders martinis that he had them prepared in bulk at the bar and shipped up to his house Uh, but he was so he just an alcoholic he was not not an alcoholic no No. but also it's a vodka martini it's two ingredients yeah can't you learn to make it or hire like Like, an in-house bartender why are you mixing it so okay so here's the thing i don't know if they mean like literally just the straight vodka martini or if they mean the martini that was named after him oh so this can't really particular martini because i mean i guess if it's the one named after him it makes a little more sense but it's still only three ingredients yeah Um, because the jack lennon martini as we said is that populates and is like widely available consists of current flavored vodka with a bit of mascara uh maraschino liqueur thrown into the mix so i don't know which one he had shipped to his house but in any case uh not alcoholic jack london had uh basically barrels of martinis <laughs> sent to his house by his favorite bartender uh, so that not he would an just alcoholic like, though basically have it on tap although i don't know if i could have like really good martini just on tap uh, yeah girl girl got that martini on tap money <laughs> We be getting wild out here. Although I I I favor a, a gin martini personally. But, Same. But really, I'm yeah. surprised by that. Because gin martini's a bit more like got a bit more oomph. Yeah. I don't know. I've been yeah, a little bit more. Really liking gin lately, as opposed to vodka. I love that. I love that for you. That's a great development. Thanks. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> that's all I have. <laughs> Why is that so funny? It's just it was genuine. So like condescending. <laughs> no. No, 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 it was genuine. I love that for you. Yeah, I love that for you. That's good. That's great. Yeah, no, I can see how that yeah, yeah I, can see I didn't that. take it that way, Melissa. But it was just, you know it me. It was just perfect. It was just yeah. like <sighs> very last episode you're talking about me shaming Kate for gutting a chicken and now 
<laughs> being condescending to Amy about liking gin over vodka now. No, I mean, yeah. I, I fully support. Who's such a big girl? I fully <laughs> Ooh, you're all grown up. <laughs> nice. You're all grown up, and you're all grown up, and you're all grown up. Oh boy. Okay, I need to. I need to uh, pause for a minute. Okay, don't actually pause the recording. I'm though. not going to. I'm just going to mute, okay. and I'm going to shut off okay. my camera again because I have to. I'm so stuffed up, my whole head. Okay, and I'm not going to be all able right. to talk. Okay, so give me a so second. I'm around. 34. I'm going to take my headphones okay. off. So shit, talk yeah. me all you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's back. I'm back. We didn't talk shit about you at all. What a shame. I pre- I prefer to talk shit to your face. <laughs> it's funnier. Because I'm a real friend. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. All right, Amy, what are we what are we talking about? Some stupid men? Some stupid men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hashtag all men. Not all men. <laughs> uh, not all men are good. Not all men are bad. They're um, they're sadly very. Uh, I can't think of a word <laughs> in the gray area. Meh, meh, meh. Very much That's like women. There's some good from. ones and there's some bad ones. So, uh, so we're going to talk about how men supported women's suffrage, and of course, we're going to relate it to food somehow. Um, <laughs> so Somehow. to support the suffragette movement yes um, of course <laughs> before women's suffrage it sounds like so dumb for me to say out loud say but, like, it obviously bef- before women's suffrage only men could vote what? so like <laughs> what? <laughs> hold up hold up what do you mean? So it feels <laughs> it feels real dumb to say that out loud but you know, in order for women's suffrage to become the law of the land, men had to vote for it. Men had to vote for it. Right. You have the majority um, voting. Well, I'd say so, the majority voting for the minority, but I mean, isn't it kind of a 50-50 split, men and women? It is, yeah. yeah. So that is actually as as duh, obvious like light bulb going off situation as it is when you actually think about it. Um, when you When you haven't really conceptualize the whole thing that's actually oh shit yeah that's right we had to get those dicks on our side because otherwise there was not there was nothing we were going to be able to do right, right ever right so unless we so killed that, them like, oh yeah okay. but we, right. i think okay. our scientific advancements haven't hadn't gotten to a place yet mm-hmm. where we mm-hmm. could survive as a species Fair. without them now yes, yes. <laughs> now definitely <laughs> we're fine we're good we yeah. are not yeah. advocating murdering genocide anybody yeah uh <clears throat> they can't see me winking it's fine yeah uh <laughs> melissa is winking <laughs> there Listeners. may be okay. there may have been a wink mm-hmm so obviously, like all 50 states voted. Um, so we talked about this before, but like women's suffrage, essentially the federal government and the state governments kept like kicking the can back and forth. And the federal government's like, let's leave it up to the states. And the states were like, we can't all come to a consensus. So some states passed women's suffrage before other states, so like states like California and New York. California. Like women could vote in state elections. They couldn't vote in the federal elections the national elections so yeah it doesn't so make like, any sense to leave it up to the states because it's kind of like leaving drug legislation up to the states 
but you're not really right. yeah. because there's still federal laws. So like California had legalized marijuana forever, but like the GEA would still go in and bust up dispensaries and like take their client lists and like arrest people because federally right. it was still illegal. So you can't be like, oh, it's up to the states. The whole state's yeah, right. It, I'm, I, not, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm not going to get into states' rights. Laws. Fuck state rights. But anyways. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> like, oh, you want to bring it down to this? So the federal government has less power. How about each individual has fucking rights? That's right. really specific. Start, let's forget let's about states. States are middle yeah. management. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need rights. Okay. But I feel that way about abortion. You know, it shouldn't be up to the states. There should be it should be federally it should protected. Be right. Obvious. I'm drunk. Yes. You can't bring up abortion right now. OK, <laughs> We're, I'm going to derail um, this fucking podcast. OK, <laughs> so so some states passed women's suffrage mm-hmm. before other states. The cool states. Um, usually, even though in the states that where it failed, the um, turnout voter turnout in support of women's suffrage was still above 40 percent. So like that's good numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, so even it was like it's been gaining or had been gaining traction for a really long time. And you have all these different organizations like we talked about previously, you know, all these different women's organizations for women's suffrage. But we also have the American Equal Rights Association. Um, we have the Men's League for Women's Suffrage. We have the Political No Equity Women League, Allowed. <laughs> the American Equal Rights Association. We have all these organizations started by men. Um, Which, just like in the women's suffrage movement um, with the women's organizations, some are like very focused on equality and justice for all. And then some are just more specifically focused on uh, white women's suffrage, really, um, to be frank. So um, the American Equal Rights Association is founded in 1865. So like that gives you a context of like when men started supporting women's suffrage. That's crazy. Yeah, it it there's it predates that even like I'll talk about it a little bit uh, later. But there's there's men who like were vocal about their support for women's suffrage in like the mid 1700s. It's wild to me that we ha- that as the world had female like rulers, like way way yeah. way 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 back. Yet yeah. those same women wouldn't have been allowed to vote. In yeah. a democracy yeah. or whatever, yeah. whatever it's called when you kind of have a democracy, but with a monarchy. What's it called? Wait. So like wait, like wait. England, like they have a yeah. democracy because they have parliament that votes and stuff, but they also are still oh. ruled by a monarchy. So I don't. I, I think it's called a parliamentary monarchy. Oh, OK. <laughs> so okay. It's all the words you just, just said. Just put those words together. <laughs> yeah. Like, but that like, like you think about like Queen Elizabeth the first and you're like, OK. She like ruled the empire, but like wouldn't be allowed to vote. Yeah. Like, wait, right. what? <laughs> yeah. Catherine the Great, Mary Queen of Scots. Like you think of all these like amazing women from history that like that changed the course of history yeah. through their leadership and they wouldn't be allowed to but vote. But anyways, yeah. This is be- it's Which just is fucking bullshit. stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the guy who founded the American Equal Rights Association, fun fact, Parker Pillsbury, which sounds like a made up name. I love that name. He, I'm going to name my next yeah, cat he, that. <laughs> Hold on. Let me write down Parker served. Pillsbury. That's yeah. a good name. It's particularly um, a good name for a baker, Melissa. Yeah. Or a pudgy cat. A round well, cat. Well, I mean, a baker's cat. Not a, a baker's baker cat. necessarily. Yeah. 
Oh my god! I just um, wrote this, and it looks like I wrote it served... with my left hand. Oh boy! <laughs> he also served in the New Hampshire chapter of the Women's Suffrage Association. Oh, he was from New Hampshire. He's from New, New Hampshire. Hampshire. Nice. Yep. Represent. Um, Probably much more the... progressive than New Hampshire legislator is now. Mm. Yes. Um, the first amendment proposed to Congress for universal suffrage was proposed in 1868 by George Washington Julian. So again, like saying this thing out loud feels dumb, but like the only one people who could propose amendments were elected officials and the only people who could be elected officials were men. So like men were the first for all of these things, you know, Um there's also the Men's League of Women's Suffrage. Um, this league did a lot of stuff and they started in New York and they started having like an annual parade or marching, excuse me, in the annual suffrage parade. Um, they were able to gain access to male only spaces. They lobbied government officials. They campaigned. They wrote and delivered speeches. Um, and there were big names attached to this specific group, too. So there's a uh, socialist Max Eastman, who's like a... Uh, huge member of like the later uh, labor party movement. And then there is Upton Sinclair, um, historian Charles Beard and financier James Lee's Laidlaw. Um, and these guys were like big deals in their day. Um, and then there's also like the political equity league, which was founded by John Hyde Braley. And he focused primarily on financing the suffrage movement. So like he was paying travel expenses and, um speech writers and he was donating to political campaigns um so he was helping from a financial standpoint i have pictures of a lot of these guys too in the drive so if you want to take a look feel free um some of them look very dashing and some of them do not sorry <laughs> hold on i've donut all over my fingers objectify all of the men um and then there's the american equal rights association and this association is focused on like universal suffrage for everyone. So they're fully integrated. They have black people, white people, indigenous people. Um, they're focused on uh, advancing uh, equality for both race and gender. And this guy, Robert uh, Pruvis, is the president of it. He's a founding member of the Women's Suffrage Association of Pennsylvania. He's one of the wealthiest and most prominent um, black men in Philadelphia at the time, too and uh he is able to like like kick up more noise right so like these men are all entering these like oh, male is. only spaces is he is he indigenous yeah yes he doesn't have an in uh, indigenous name i don't know if that's okay to say yeah it's so but so he, a lot of there's two different um indigenous men who um worked for uh, women's suffrage, because one of the things I wanted to point out, too, is that um, women's <laughs> suffrage and women's equality was really only a thing that had to be talked about in white colonial Eurocentric cultures. Mm -hmm. In indigenous cultures, there was more equity. And that's part of the reason why this movement gained a lot of... Um, momentum from indigenous speakers and writers of the time mm -hmm. and uh, um, listeners the person we're talking about is arthur caswell parker he real yes. cute yeah all right he, really, he can really. get it 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he's mm-hmm. well dressed. He's got great posture. He's, he's got, got like a little. Structure. He's got like a little smirk. That's yep. what I was gonna say. He's got like a like, little like he's got I a little know something what is something. happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What that tongue do though? <laughs> oh my god, Max wow. Eastman, dreamy, right? Dreamy. He's like, oh my goodness, what? He right? he wow. is so beautiful that he kind of looks like a yeah. freak. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? No, I hear like you. you look at him and your brain goes, "That's not a real person." All of his pieces are are but like, like well, in like his face is kind of like long, like he's got a real mm-hmm. skinny head. Yeah, but his hair is quaffed very nicely. We yeah. we be out here objectifying folks. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Damn. Uh-huh. So all right, that guy's I have fine. A very Eugene Debs. Long list. Sorry. <laughs> you told me to look at the pictures. I'm looking at the pictures. I know. I know. It's great. Um, mm-hmm. there. When I'm sure we'll post this someplace online. Uh, if I um, do my job, which I haven't been doing, <laughs> yeah, they'll get posted. <laughs> he looks like a hobbit. He does. <laughs> That's he's got kind. Is that Robert Payne? It's Tom Thomas Payne. It says, it says Thomas okay. Payne. He's got sad okay. eyes. <laughs> he does. What's going on, bud? Mm, mm-hmm. But also, early colonial uh, American painters were not good <laughs> um this gentleman is another one of the indigenous peter wilson uh, yes he's handsome too like he's an so, older gentleman but he distinguished yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so we have people we have men ranging uh like across all sorts of different disciplines like writers <laughs> philosophers petition uh, politicians not petitions politicians uh, social reformers, religious leaders, and medical professionals, too. So Dr. Peter Wilson, he is one of the um, indigenous men who spoke in support for women's suffrage. Um, and the earliest uh, writings that we have on record in the United States or in what becomes the United States is from um, Payne in 1737. Um, he or he was born in 1737, but he writes in his youth about how women should have equality in all things mm-hmm, in the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so. that's just, that's just sexy. That's it just is sexy. sexy. Right? Like he didn't have the sexiest picture, but like. Mm-mm. <laughs> mm. He's just going to turn into like a hotter dog. Yeah. Okay. Sexy so this words. guy's name is Robert Purvis. <laughs> yeah. And look, I'm not here for the mutton chops, but that face. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that face though, amazing bone structure. Yeah, like he's it's intense. Guy, it's intense. He's the guy that was the president of the American Equal Rights Association, and he mm. was a member of one of the most prominent and wealthiest black families in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, no, no, so, that's, that's a demon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not. Oh, that's boy. not Daniel Anthony. I'm sorry, that's Nosferatu. <laughs> Oh, Parker Pillsbury, he kind of looks like a chubby cat. <laughs> he does. He's, he's got that, like, Colonel Sanders goatee thing oh, going on. it's in on. here twice. I was going to say, I I think he looks a little bit like, um, I think he looks a little bit like. This is the podcast now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just hot or not. Men from history. But, like, you're saying that most of these men had good politics, so most of them are going to fall into the hot yeah. category because women yeah, look past the immediate physical yeah why do you think that's true every woman is like fucking dropping floods i just made that 
and drop <laughs> once for Stanley 2G. Like, oh, it's right. true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Men are like, I don't mm-hmm. get it. And it's like, mm. I can't Another explain thing. it to you. These Ooh, men intricate. followed the lead of the women okay, in the movement. Go ahead. Which go. is probably the sexiest thing That's about so them. so sexy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The men's group was just seen as like an auxiliary. Like the women were in charge. The yeah, men no, made sure they had odd. money, resources, you look, connections. This guy, George Washington, what? George Washington Ju- Julian? Uh, it looks like James yes. Cromwell. He oh, was he a totally politician. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. He's got that. He's got that senator's beard. Okay. I've gotten through the pictures now, Amy. So uh, okay. no more interruptions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so the men provided this like missing piece of a really complex puzzle because the women, like I said, they had been, you know, taking to the streets, they had been marching, writing, uh, delivering speeches, but, um, the media wasn't paying as much attention to them. They weren't gaining access to men's only spaces. Right. So, um, having men join their groups or have auxiliary groups allowed them to, they hosted like couples dinner parties. Um, they that's a different. That's a different thing, Amy. <laughs> it's not. A key I was going to say that's to a key with, party. That has nothing to do with the vote. <laughs> I think it does, though. I think it has something to <laughs> yeah, do with no, the vote. I, I agree. <laughs> um, they also infiltrated with socialites, and then they had um, they like highlighted dashing young suffragette couples or like power couples. Um, and I have some listed in their names are just amazing. Uh, Narcissa Cox Vanderlip and her husband, Frank A. Vanderlip. Like if I was reading like a steamy historical, like bodice ripper type, like those were those are the names that I'm mm-hmm. coming up with. Mm-hmm. They yeah. sound fake. <laughs> um, he Frank was uh, the president of the National City Bank of New York. So they had lots of money and they threw it at the suffrage movement. Um, and then we also have Frederick Nathan, who is a wealthy scion of an important uh, Sephardi Jewish family, and his wife, the social activist Maud Nathan, who's Maud. also his first Maud. cousin. Ew, first cousin? Yeah, but I mean, it was the 1800s. No, the 1900s, I know, but like, so. I can't even get behind, I get behind is too strong of a phrase. <laughs> but like, you know, when you're like multiple removed like distant relatives all right like yeah it's not great but like you know love is love right <laughs> but first cousins first cousin. that's like you guys grew up going to the same like parties and stuff mm-hmm. like yeah. yeah your grandmother is the same person you both have oh, the same yeah. grandmother yeah that's the oh, thing when you say it that's like that. the thing yeah. if any of the parents or grandparents are the same like linked <laughs> yeah your no. grandmother is the mm-hmm. same. Your yep. moms both, they slept in the same room until they were wed. Yeah. No, yeah. that's not okay. No. no. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> okay. So there's uh, <laughs> lot, lots of rich power couples, essentially, that were, like, young, attractive, hosted lots of, like, different parties, like, were hold it, hosted social engage- engagements and fundraisers and stuff. And then... The, the effect this had is that the newspapers fucking ate this up. Like, you have a woman yelling, like, by herself on a street corner about women's rights, and the newspaper is going to call her, like, a harpy or painter as mad or crazy or whatever. But you have, like, these elite power couples 
hosting dinner parties and uh, writing letters to the newspapers, to the press and talking to senators and the papers cover them. So the papers covered socialites, they covered high society, and they covered also men's clubs. So the husbands of these power couples would go into like smoking lounges or men's clubs and talk to all their male friends about the women's suffrage movement, too, and make it seem more like digestible and less like wild out there. So it made it more socially acceptable. I love Um, a husband supporting his wife. Yes. like There's nothing hotter than that. Like 100 in there, like, yo, bros. You got to let these women vote. They're so smart and amazing and they got great tits. I digress. I'm sure that's 100% the conversation. I'm going to bet it was just like worded differently because they're like olden time or whatever. But it was probably like women are great. They're beautiful. They bear our children. We should give them more respect and also like, you know, not beat them when we get drunk. Yes. You know, all that. Oh, no, oh, that, that don't. Now, Melissa, come on. Now you're just. It's too much. Now you're talking it's too much. crazy. So, like I said, these men gain access to male only spaces and then they are writing editorials to newspapers, too. Their editorials hold more weight because misogyny. Their speeches, speeches are taken more seriously because of misogyny. They're covered more frequently by the press because of misogyny. Um, and their fundraisers are easier to generate funds with and gained more headlines because well, that's allyship, using, right? Right. Yeah, they're using they're using that for the power of of the good to funnel more attention and public acceptance and money towards the suffrage movement. So their impact is definitely seen and heard. Um, some they like I, I mentioned earlier too. They like showed up for an annual um, suffrage parade to like march in New York City. Um, there's like a picture in the one drive of like a scrapbook that has like some pamphlets. Yeah, and pictures that thing in it is too. cool. Um, yeah, and they I guess like a bunch of men like oh, yeah. they would wear like costumes. Who's that like, gentleman? To... He's he's good looking too. In the scrapbook, <laughs> but they were. Nathan- yeah, the guy in the scrapbook. Faithfully yeah. yours, Nathaniel. Sh- 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 I don't know what that is. Schmidt. 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 I've never seen a D and an H together. No. Schmidt. Schmidt. Maybe it's an S. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, I'm going to have to post this on. uh social and see what people think his name is i'm not gonna yeah. remember this though i know i saved a photo from our last episode because i was like oh i'll post this to social and ask this question because it's in my camera fo- folder and i have no mm-hmm. idea why it's in there <laughs> <laughs> like i saw okay. it and i'm like i don't fucking know what i'm supposed to do with this <laughs> so this will be much the same but we need to ask people ha- what this guy's name is yeah nathaniel i i appreciate that Sh- all right sorry (laughs) so these guys when they are showing up to the parades they're showing up in costume they're showing up dancing they're showing up acting as bodyguards for women acting as a physical barrier between them and police um they're like like protecting them from catcalling and from like being mistreated by people who are throwing stuff at them Mm -hmm. just a Mm catcall barrier Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Um, and then they're doing this in addition to like still like lobbying state national government and, um, you know, writing letters and delivering speeches love, and all that kind of stuff, too. I love this little bit in the scrapbook. Men who love the freedom which your fathers won for you pay your debt by winning freedom for your daughters. Yeah. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. that makes yeah. me a little weepy. <laughs> it's the truth, though. Like, it it's is. really so nice. sweet. Sorry. Okay. I it keep interrupting really you. Sweet. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. But yeah. So they also did like kind of kooky things too. So like Ooh, they, kooky and, and I say this is kooky. Like it's it probably doesn't sound kooky now, but back then this was kooky to do. They had an automobile recruitment trip in like the twenties, and like cars were brand fucking new. So like they drove cars across the country to gain more support and followers and and people excited about their cause. Um. They somebody rode on horseback from New York City to Washington, D.C. Um, couples would campaign together. So like people who are running for office, like this is when you start seeing like the senator's wife mm. or whatever, like start to like speak oh, okay. out That's and deliver speeches. I never thought and of have that. a more active role. Yeah. Now it's like a big and part. They apparently when uh, Teddy Roosevelt was running for president, uh, he was anti suffrage. Teddy, and, no. I yeah. know. Teddy. Yeah. And um they, like there was a letter writing campaign to like tear him <laughs> apart in the press. And all of these people rallying together actually helped Woodrow Wilson get elected when they were running against each other. Um they also uh sometimes supported divorce, women owning their own property, legalization of prostitution federal voting rights like so it wasn't just Holy about shit, they really were progressive yeah i was gonna yeah. say i'm like legalization of prostitution is something that we're arguing about now yeah yes. because again yeah. what people do with their own bodies is their own fucking business and if right. they want to make yeah. money off of that that is their own fucking business but like to yes. think that that was something that people were like lobbying for back then and still now it's like yeah. taboo is fucking mind-blowing well, it's amazing it, when it's, a woman's body is considered oh, a whole thing. I was going to say, well, we are going backwards, so it's actually yeah. not that surprising. Yeah. <laughs> um, they Obviously, there was some backlash, so not everybody was rah-rah pro-women. Um, anti-suffrage groups sprang up. The Ladies Home Journal hired specifically anti-suffrage journalists to like make sure that the press wasn't just... You know, uh, biased media I'm wasn't sorry, fake what? news. <laughs> they they hired journalists with the sole purpose the ladies of just home journal the suffrage movement. Yeah, the ladies' home journal. Okay, they were worried that their readership would decline if women weren't spending all their time doting on their husbands. And you change keeping a what you house. put in the magazine, right? Yeah, make it yeah. appeal to yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. You change with the um, times. Like, it's not that difficult. I mean, well, it can be pretty difficult, but, you know, just fucking do it. So here's here's the funny thing. Like I said, the pro-suffrage men's groups, they were always taking a backseat to the women's groups. So they took their lead in the direction from the women's groups and they worked in collaboration and partnership really well. So, like, the women would define what the talking points are and, like, the strategy overall and then the men would help like gain them access to spaces that they couldn't get in and get them access to money that they couldn't get in so they were like working like a well-oiled machine the anti-suffrage groups 
the men there was all men and they didn't have the support of women i was just so, like, gonna say apart they don't have that administrative help yeah <laughs> mm. like where so the fuck would men be apart. without secretaries yeah so, yeah uh i find that hilarious <laughs> yeah no i mean it makes perfect sense i love like, that there's no yeah there's no <laughs> there's no backbone here <laughs> there's yeah. no yeah mm-hmm. i love it i need I need to pause one more time. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I could, I like, I can't talk anymore. No, I noticed. Aww. I noticed that was happening. And I was like, oh, girl, yep. you got to blow your nose. <laughs> yeah. So hold on. She's back, folks. And she's beautiful. <laughs> Stunning. Uh, okay. Where were we? So why men? Why men? It's a question I ask myself daily i mean on every pot every episode of this podcast is either why men or why white people yeah yes. true in true. this case it's both so yeah um so like what did men like have at stake like why were they helping women with this so oh, a couple guys, different i'm sorry i just knocked over my pile of chocolate oh <laughs> guys, no oh no guys <laughs> you okay oh my god what the fuck it's a lot of chocolate. <laughs> Why do you have so many chocolate bars in your desk? It's like a library of chocolate. Yeah. Oh, it is a chocolate library. Well, some Choc-a-bear. of these I bought Choc- at the yeah. shop, Amy. Yeah. Oh, they look familiar. But yeah. some of them I also bought at my last job. <coughs> and then, like, I tried a little bit of each. <laughs> And then put them in my fridge. And then I cleaned out the fridge the other day because I knew we were going to have Thanksgiving leftovers and stuff. So I just put them on my desk. And now they're just. Now they're just here. <laughs> That's like a whole like choose your own adventure. I don't know chocolate what to do edition. With them. <laughs> eat them. I can't. Yeah, eat them. I can't eat all this. I don't eat that much chocolate. I literally Stop tried like chocolate bars. We talked about food waste. I literally ate like one or two bites from each thing just to try it. <sighs> Kate, do you want them? <laughs> Turn them, make them into some delicious dessert. Like do something with like a chocolate yeah, ganache or like chop them up and put them, use them for <laughs> chocolate chips. For Are you crying? She's crying. She is. <laughs> is I think she's got a problem. <laughs> I don't even know oh, well. I like chocolate. <laughs> My God. <laughs> You've gone off the rails. Uh, uh, oh no, I've got the vein. Oh I no. have I have like five <sighs> minutes left. Okay. Amy's like, I gotta finish this before I have to I'm blow sorry. my nose again. Can we just get through okay. this shit? <laughs> oh my god. <All> right. <laughs> okay. We ready? Yep. Okay. Mm. So some men wanted to help out because they like realized that their rights and the rights of everybody were kind of all tied up together. Right. So you have like a group of people who are focused more on social justice and the labor movement. So Max Eastman was one of these guys. Um, he was really heavily involved in the labor movement and labor reform, um, along with his sister, his close friend and his um, wife. Um, I need to put punctuation to that sentence because it sounds like that's right. Yeah, it sounds like his sister was also his wife. (laughs) Um, So Crystal Eastman, his sister, 
uh, Inez Miholland, um, who was his girlfriend and then just became a good friend. Um, and then Ida uh, Rao, which I'm probably saying her name incorrectly. Um, oh, their Max names Eastman's a really hot one. What? Max Eastman, you said? He's a really hot yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. So he was a socialist. Oh, and baby. He, he helped organize the shirtwaist worker strike of 1909. <sighs> yep. Don't cross picket lines, but I'd cross any line for him. <laughs> Except a picket line. <laughs> Except a picket line. And he would respect that. Yes. He'd respect the fuck out of that. <laughs> uh, we also have Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very focused on equality for all people. He saw suffrage as this like universal that could not be divided by race or gender. And then we have Dr. Peter Wilson and uh, Arthur Caswell Parker. Those are the two indigenous gentlemen. Um, They saw universal suffrage as a way to equalize all. And their backgrounds, um, like, gave them that kind of context of, like, hey, we come from a culture that, like, highly reveres women and views women as equal to men. Like, this is, like, white people have it backwards, essentially. Um. And then the other group of people who were like working towards women's suffrage that were men were like the think of your daughter or your wife or your girlfriend type. Um, and that definitely helped helped the movement. Right. Um, but it also kind of limited the movement in some ways, too, because then it's like these men couldn't see women as like fully formed people unless it was in the context of their relationship right. to a man. Yeah. So like Woodrow Wilson famously became pro suffrage because his two daughters, Margaret and Jesse, were both like vehemently pro suffrage women, because they were both right. women. Well, it's right. like it's like when politicians are very anti LGBTQIA plus, but then they have yes. a child come out mm-hmm. and they're like, I yeah. get it now. And it's like, OK, but like, wh- why the f- why the fuck did that change? Like, I understand you love your right, child, yeah. but how do you lack so much empathy that you couldn't see how someone else yeah. would love their child because it they're just their child? Like, they're right, just yeah. a person that deserves everything else. Like, love I don't respect and yeah. It's just the lack of empathy is like baffling to me, but it's always been it that is. way. It's, and it's that it's way for women too. Frustrating. Yes, like oh, women totally. do That's the same white fucking women thing. Overwhelmingly yes. vote for fucking Trump, and, and it's like, like you're voting against your own interests. One, two, where this, where did this lack of empathy come from? Yeah. Like I don't understand it, but anyways. <laughs> um. So sadly, Jack London, hmm. uh, famed writer, falls into this second category. Um. So he he was brought to the women's suffrage movement because of the women in his life. Um, and just like there were women's groups that fractured the basis of race, like with one camp looking for incremental change that highlighted white only voices. Um, and then the other camp trying to lift all people up. Men's activists also fell into these two camps, too. So um, Jack London wanted white women to have the vote mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. all women to have the vote um he has some real bad opinions on race and eugenics should um, i not read his book should i not read john <laughs> barleycorn because oddly mean, enough I in researching his connection to this topic i didn't see anything about how shitty of a person he was 
Except for the fact that he was an alcoholic and during that time he did a lot of shit. But like. Yeah. But he. So like he. And that's. So the cookbook. Right. Like we talked about this in episode one in the season. Like the cookbook was like an attempt to like dissuade the naysayers and be like, see, women still want to be in the kitchen. Mm-hmm, women still mm-hmm. want to take care of their they families. They want to vote right? like, and mm-hmm. do all your housework and cook for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's like this bid for acceptability. Um, and like, I find it fascinating. Jack London is one of the the uh, few bed to contribute a recipe. And I actually, <laughs> uh, he contributed multiple recipes to multiple women's suffrage cookbooks, none of which were contributed to the cookbook <laughs> that I gave you guys. Uh, Watching so means- this unfold in the group thread. <laughs> I was just yeah. like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> what? How many books uh, are there? How many recipes so are many. there? What's going on? We've got one so the, book we've been working from. <coughs> the book that I gave you guys was like <clears throat> the first. It was the OG. It came out in Boston. It was the first published. And then all of these other groups all across the country were like, that's a great mm. recipe, pun intended, for success. <laughs> we're going to duplicate this. And uh, Jack London, the recipe that um, Kate's going to share in a little bit is contributed to um, a similar kind of cookbook, but from the Philadelphia suffrage group. Um, So he Jack London claimed to be a socialist. He believes but he believes strongly in eugenics. Um, And he like often complained later in life. Like he's like one of those people that like got more conservative. That happens. That happens. Yep. Um, but he like complained later in life, like about in some of his letters he wrote, like about how he hated um the lazy, like dark skinned Italian like <laughs> wow. people who worked in his house. Um, like he like he which it's like, okay, they are laborers. You claim to be like pro labor mo- movement and pro socialism. But like you're you're Mentioning their race for no reason. <laughs> well, and two, they have one experience of a particular race, and then that is what that race is. So he probably mm-hmm. had one worker that maybe wasn't stellar, like that yeah. maybe took a little longer than he thought they should, or like wasn't like super, you know, what do we say? The term we use now, it didn't have a sense of urgency. It yeah. was like, they're all lazy. <laughs> You know, like, and that's still what people do. Like their whole, yeah. their whole perspective is colored by like one anecdotal, like interaction mm-hmm. that they had, mm-hmm. which I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that's what it was. It could just be that he's just a fucking racist piece of shit uh, and didn't like that Italians were tan. Like, yeah, <laughs> but well, it it's kind of like like when you like learn more too about like the history of birth control and stuff and you realize like that's such an amazing invention is like changed the possibilities for women but it has such a horrible fucked up like it was like white nationalism mm-hmm. like that was the <laughs> we driving gotta stop force these poor it. people of color from procreating right so he had like his views were like warped in that kind of way where like you might think that a lot of them are progressive but they actually aren't they're like progressive for only a certain group of people Mm, which isn't progressive Mm -hmm. at all 
Um, so the Philadelphia cookbook that he did contribute to was edited by Mrs. L. O. Kleber. Um, and just like the Boston based book, she wanted to like have an air of respectability. So she saw endorsements from governors of states mm-hmm. where suffrage had already passed. And um Idaho Governor Moses Alexander wrote in the book, the impression that women's suffrage inspires an ambition in women to seek and hold public office is altogether wrong. The contrary is true. That is so, like, like... <laughs> yeah, God, sorry. Like, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. They don't they're not they don't want to do stuff. They just they just want to be heard. They just want to make sure that like we're hearing their little lady voices. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. Like don't that's... you worry. They're not really they don't really want to be a part. Like they don't really want to seat at the table. They just want to vote for who else gets to be at the table. For who their husband yeah. tells them to vote for. Right. It's, right it'll right, double right. your votes, man. Like that's, yeah, that's, that's like the philosophy behind mm-hmm. this wing of the suffrage movement. So um with that said, he did submit two recipes. We included one tonight, which Kate will share with us. So <clears throat> Um, the one thing that I didn't have a chance to, I'm a little, un, I'm a little <coughs> le, like less prepared than, uh, than, well, not that I'm usually con- terribly prepared, but, um, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> um, but, uh, what I'm, we're going to have to talk through this a little bit. So this is from, uh, Jack London's method for roasting a blood rare slice of <laughs> toothsome teal so i believe toothsome a teal. blood rare slice of toothsome teal yes. is the name of a new band it is it is it absolutely. i couldn't even get that out i think that that actually that's gonna be the the um the rolling stone review of the new record is gonna be yeah but it's like a blood rare slice of toothsome teal like that's a that's a whole thing right there yeah no that is good that I'm is good i'm pretty sure that toothsome teal refers to like a duck um like a type of duck teal. so yeah the only way in the world to serve a canvas back or mallard or a sprig or even the toothsome teal is as follows the plucked bird should be stuffed with a tight handful of plain raw celery and in a piping oven roasted variously eight, nine, ten, or even 11 minutes, according to the size of the bird and the heat of the oven. The blood oh rare breast is carved with the leg and the carcass, then thoroughly squeezed in a press. The resultant liquid is seasoned with salt, pepper, lemon, and paprika and poured hot over the meat. This method of roasting ensures the maximum tenderness and flavor in the bird. The longer the wild duck is roasted, the drier and tougher it becomes. There we are. I'm about to be real mean. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no! This... This is a Eurasian teal. Oh, he's oh. the cutest fucking duck he's I've ever really seen. Cute. Cuter, blood rare. He's, they're like little, uh, like short. Like so these they're are like stocky. Well, like, stocky I'm a really, I'm a big at- fan of his 1980s. Um, like gray slick hair and eye makeup yeah. going on. Like that's some like great. oh my. 
God, he's so real cute. He's really cute. His face is really round and fluffy. Like he's just really cute. Yeah. Aww. We gotta post these to Instagram. <laughs> Would you eat so, this face? Ooh, this eat? one's a cinnamon teal. Ooh. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's so yeah, teal is a type of Yeah, it's a type yeah. type of duck. So basically he wants you to eat this duck like rare, like still like yeah. bloody. You're gonna die, buddy. Like um, I don't know. I think you can eat duck rare, right? I mean, I think it's usually still pink. Like, I don't know. I don't really I'm know how. This. But um, yeah, I think you can eat. I don't know how rare you can eat duck, but I'm pretty sure you can eat it rare. Uh, yeah. And then but I like it's the whole thing like you you throw it in the and I love that the only thing for for flavoring this thing is a tight handful of plain raw celery just jammed right inside of it like yeah i mean i put like, yeah what fla- like yeah i ooh, put celery, celery flavor yeah i put I celery inside of my turkey but i also put an apple and some lemon and like a, yeah no it's like, like a, mixed with other flavors he, it is enhanced yeah. by like i think the carrots and the onion well yeah the other, other recipe, recipe was, was for celery. stuffed celery it was just celery with cheese was he like a part of a celery farm? Like, did he own know. part? Like, <laughs> maybe he was like really worried about his weight, and he read that celery was a negative calorie mm, food. Maybe so. I, just every meal was celery. I do appreciate basting the bird. Yes, that is the only like in in out of all of the recipes that we have read, this is probably the least. Other than the how cute that duck is. This yeah. is like, this makes the most sense with our current sort of flavor palettes that most of us have, you know? Um, uh, I don't really like duck. Yeah, I hate duck. We Remember when we went to Minneapolis, like when we were out eating, like everything was cooked in duck fat? Melissa, I no. think I think that was a thing. I think the duck fat had. Its I don't remember moment. that. I think no. it was like sun dried tomatoes and duck fat all had yeah, that. Like moment. all the French fries. Yeah. Like, the, like mm-hmm. three. We went oh, to like no. three different restaurants, and at two of them, like the French fries were like cooked in duck fat. No, I don't remember. And I was like, that. I don't want my fries to taste like duck. Yeah. I don't think the fat really impart like. Greg has cooked stuff in like beef fat and chicken fat, and it's like it all just tastes like fried food. It tasted food. real gamey. Yeah, yeah, that was the one time I had duck. It was very greasy and very gamey, and I was like, "Nah, this ain't for me." Nope. Not now it's her ducking. Now we're talking. I'm kidding. So no, it's I, disgusting. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's I don't want to shove thing. a bird into another bird. Into another bird. Into another bird. It's like a birdception. Like, yeah, because like, it's three birds, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a duck shoved into a turkey and a chicken st- shoved into a duck. Yeah. That's yeah. too much, yeah. too many birds. Yeah. It's weird and gross. Why would you do that? I don't know. It's a Anyways. whole thing. Cool. <laughs> it's a whole thing. So that, I'm yeah. so tired. <laughs> Same. Um, <laughs> hold on. What do we do now? We gotta we gotta say thank you for listening. Oh yeah, thank you everyone for listening. <laughs> uh, and we'll catch you next time. Uh, bye. Bye. bye.
Oh my God. I so fucked this up. Thank you for listening to Drunk Dish. For recipes and more, please visit drunkdish.com. If you like what you hear, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Apple Music. You can also follow us on Twitter at Drunk Dish Pod and Instagram at Drunk Dish. And again, thanks for listening.